As we consider uh, Ruth chapter 4 this morning, those first few verses, um, I want to make a qualification, which I've done I think only three times, uh, but it's very important to me, uh, the integrity of um, what I do and the integrity of this office I feel like is mandatory, um, that I tell you that if you listen to um, Brian Loritz's recent sermon on kindness, you're going to hear some similarities. And uh, the reason I tell you that is because I don't want to be um, charged with plagiarism, <laughs> and I don't think I would. Uh, I tell anybody that calls me and asks permission to share things out of my sermon, I, I, I see that as... Um, as a real compliment, and I'm going to see Brian tomorrow and tell him that I used a lot of his uh, sermon material on his recent sermon on kindness, and I have a feeling he'll say the same thing to me. Um, so without further ado, let's pray together and let's look at the power of kindness from Ruth 4. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you're a God that has been so kind to us. Our great God, we thank you that that you have sent a kinsman redeemer. You have sent one to buy us back. (laughs) You have sent one who would take a racially marginalized people as your bride. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray in the coming moments that you would open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds to the beauty of the gospel to the simplicity of what you are seeking to transform us into being. That, Father, we might love you and we might love our neighbor aright. Come, Holy Spirit, don't leave us as we are. Knock on the door of our conscience and convict us of sin. But, O God, would you open the door of your mercy and grace and flood over us, showing us that you are a God for sinners like us. We thank you that we can trust your presence with us, your presence with us. And we just give these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Marguerite Johnson is a name that I had not heard before. Uh, Her father abandoned her when she was young. Uh, Her mother entered a relationship with a man who sexually assaulted her as a child. And over time, um, Marguerite just got in the way of her mother's lifestyle, and so her mother dropped her off on the doorstep of her grandmother's house in Stamps, Arkansas. And it was at that point that Marguerite really gave up. She gave up on talking. She gave up on pouring herself out. She just literally gave up and became a mute. But there was a woman in that town by the name of Miss Flowers. She was the matriarch of uh, what was known as Black Stamps, Arkansas. And she took interest in little Marguerite, and she would invite her over for tea. And over time, Marguerite would open up just a little bit, until finally she was speaking again, and she never stopped speaking. Later in life, she would, little Marguerite would change her name to Angelo, um, what is her name? (laughs) There we go, Maya Angelo. Thank you, Rick. 
<laughs> the literary giant who who ended up writing, among other things, I know why the cage bird sings. Kindness. Think about that for a minute. Maya Angelou died uh, this past year and received a tremendous amount of attention. Um, much was written about her life. And yet, what if Miss Flowers, what if she had not shown kindness? What if she had just let the verdict remain as it was, a little quiet girl who was mute, who wouldn't talk, who was shy, and who just simply wanted to be left alone? Kindness. The, the, the Hebrew word is hesed. We've seen it four times up to this point in the book of Ruth. It is a primary focus in the book of Ruth. And that is highly interesting to me because why would, a, why, why would God want us to know of kindness? Why would he want us to, to, to have a, an account of people being kind to one another? Especially when you look at the culture in which they lived. You would think that they needed more extreme examples. That that they needed pioneers who were more bold and who would stand up to the authorities that that were. that, That stood up and preached loudly and boldly. And yet God gives us a picture of just people being kind to one another. Why is that? I I believe it's because God wanted us to know that to make deep and lasting change in this world doesn't come through great stands or great preachers, but from common people like you and like me simply being kind to their neighbor. Simply noticing those around them and instead of condemning them, Instead of criticizing them, instead of being bitter toward them, instead of being caustic toward them, instead of removing ourselves from from them because their lives are just too sinful, that God wants us as His people to simply be kind, to love those around us, and to treat others with dignity and respect. I think that's what we need in our day. As you follow social media, you see that it's producing anything but kindness. Especially, it could be argued, in the church. I love what one San Francisco journalist said. He wrote, the trouble with born-again Christians is they are an even bigger pain the second time around. And unfortunately, it's true. We need more kindness. We need the kindness that Boaz exhibits to Naomi and Ruth. So let's look at it. The first thing that we need to see is that if we are going to be kind, then we have to be rooted in faith. Kindness is rooted in faith. Go with me for a minute, if you will. I, I met with a good friend this week, and he told me that uh, that he sold his house in Midtown in three days. His wife uh, was thinking that it was time to move. They didn't have enough room in their house, and, and, and they put it on the market, and in three days, boom, it was gone, and, and they couldn't find another house in time, and so they had to move into what he referred to as uh, an insect-infested house. He and their brand-new baby and three other daughters. 
He said they were on top of each other. They were getting desperate. It was getting old. Um, the wife was expressing her uh, dissatisfaction with what was uh, going on in their living arrangements. And so the husband felt it uh, pretty heavily on a daily basis. They looked at house after house after house and couldn't find a house until finally they got the call. The real estate agent said that, that it was the perfect house, that it had just come on the market. It, it hadn't been on the market but a couple of hours. And they had to go immediately to see it. They would be the first ones to see it. It was a deal too good to be true. And so they went and they looked at the house and sure enough, it was the house for them. They put an offer on it and then they had to wait. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, how would it affect their hearts if in the midst of that waiting for the perfect house at the perfect price, that another buyer came in and tried to buy it? What would that do to their relationship? Wouldn't it be hard for my friend, who is actually a preacher in town, wouldn't it be hard for him to want the best for his neighbor? Wouldn't it be hard for him to think, you know, they really deserve it more than we? You see, when we have our hearts set on something, it is hard to be kind. When we have our hearts set on something, when, when we are focused on something, it impacts how we treat those around us. Paul Miller, in one of his books, um, gives us a very telling um, remark. He says this, Following the rules, conforming to the shape of life that God has put us in, is a check against idolatry, against demanding that God gives us what we love. Let that sink in for a minute. Following the rules, being kind, for instance, Conforming to the shape of life that God has put us in is a check against idolatry. You see, when we want what we want, we manipulate God and we manipulate other people. It impacts how we treat those around us. And that matters. You see, agenda must never come or become more important than people. What we want can never get in the way with loving others. What we want, what our goals are in life, can never be so high and lifted up that we run over people to accomplish those goals. Dear friends, the end does not justify the means. Why? Because God says it doesn't just matter, but it matters supremely how we treat one another. The commandment, the reigning commandment, the very essence of what Christianity is is stated in these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. John tells us that the two are one. He says, don't tell me you love God when you hate your neighbor. If you hate your neighbor, you hate God too. Love matters. It matters immensely. Therefore, our heart attitude toward those around us is supreme. So where am I going with this? There was one person in the way of Boaz getting what he wanted. The text calls him the other redeemer. 
He's a closer relative to Elimelech and therefore Naomi and Ruth by default than Boaz. There is one person who stands in the way of Boaz getting what he wants. And yet Boaz, just like he didn't take advantage of Ruth when he woke up in the middle of the night and there she was at the foot of his bed, he did not take advantage of this man. It's incredible. I mean, Ruth says, marry me. And he says, well, there's one that comes before me. And so what does Boaz do? He goes to the gate. He waits for this guy to come by. He stops him. He says, hold on just a minute. He goes and gets ten elders who are camped out by the gate because that's where the elders hung out. And he said, come here because you have to um, give testimony to this case. There's no manipulation. There's no, okay, uh, the end justifies the means. I know I'd be a much better husband to Ruth and I'd be a much better landowner. And No. What he says is, I trust God. He's not a businessman first and a believer second. He doesn't have the mindset, the end justifies the means, I go to war in business, I make money, but I tithe, I give back to the church, so that justifies it. No. He says, the way that I do business, the way that I relate to those around me, how I treat people matters supremely. And friends, I want you to know, the only way that you and I can act like that in the world, the only way that you and I can live in relationship and be kind to those around us is by having and possessing a living faith in the sovereignty of God. We have to believe that if God brings somebody into our busy day, then God is the one who has brought somebody into our busy day. We've got to believe that whatever uh, the circumstances are that we're facing in that moment, that we're facing in that deal, that we're facing in this relationship, is there because God has it there. And He is not asking us to sacrifice faith in Him, but He's calling upon us to trust Him and to act righteously and to be kind. Paul tells us in Romans 1.17, the righteous will live by faith. And really, if you look at the Greek language and how um, um, it's, it's phrased there when he says from first to last, what he means is that the whole Christian life is by faith. And you say, okay, so faith is the key to righteousness. What does that mean? It means simply this, you trust God with everything before you. And you be what he's called you to be. You don't try to manipulate him. You don't try to manipulate others. You trust God. You see, the one who seeks to control life will use and manipulate people, which is the opposite of kindness. Let's look at kindness for a moment. Kindness has... The Hesed kind of kindness has an evil sister that is very prominent in our culture as southern people, and it's called niceness. Niceness is not kindness. Dr. Barry Corey of Biola University, in a book that will be out soon, distinguishes between meanness, now we know we're not supposed to be mean, 
But he, he distinguishes between meanness and niceness and kindness. This is brilliant. Listen to this. Meanness is having a hard core with acidic edges. You follow me? What that means is, I know what I believe, I know what the truth is, and it justifies me being mean. It justifies me just stating my opinion and not listening to anybody else. Acidic edges. That's meanness. Niceness, however, has a gooey core. It is spineless. It's not courageous and has, a, and has spongy edges. Oh, your hair looks so wonderful. Did you see her? That's niceness. I'm not willing to tell you the truth. I'm willing to tell you what I know you want to hear, but I'll tell everybody else what I really think about you. That's niceness. It's spineless. It's not courageous. It has spongy edges. Jesus doesn't hang out on either extreme. He presents a third way, namely kindness. Kindness has a firm core of conviction. It speaks the truth, but it doesn't have acidic edges, but warm edges. In other words, how it speaks the truth matters to that person. Love matters. Kindness matters. Let me continue reading. Kindness embodies courage. But courage doesn't always embody kindness. Too often our sinners are firm on conviction, but our edges are hard in our tactics. Have you seen that lately on Facebook? Have you seen that lately on Twitter? Have you heard that lately in your relationships? This way is characterized by aggression. On the other hand, is the way of niceness. Whereas aggression has a firm core and hard edges, niceness has soft edges but a spongy center. Niceness may be pleasant, but it lacks conviction. It has no soul. God doesn't call us to be mean, obviously, or nice, but he calls us to be kind. Boaz is kind to Naomi. Boaz is kind to Ruth. But you know what? Boaz is kind to the other Redeemer, too. He's kind to him, even though he has the power to rob him from possessing what he wants to possess. The very essence of kindness is faith. But secondly, kindness cost us something. You see, kindness sounds so nice, so light, so fluffy. But dear friends, we cannot have kindness without us costing, without it costing us something. I find this whole deal, kind of how Boaz goes about presenting this business deal to the Redeemer, the other Redeemer, interesting. Any good salesman, and we've got some good salesmen in this room, any good salesman knows that what do you do? You start high and then you come down, right? And that way, the person buying feels like they got a good deal, but you've still met your, your profit margin. Well, notice what Boaz does. He starts low, and then he goes high. It's interesting. He, he, the first thing he tells um, the other redeemer is this. He said, he said, Naomi has some land for sale. You know Naomi, our, our, uh, Elimelech's, uh, our relative Elimelech. And that's a good business deal. He says, are you willing to redeem the land for Naomi? And that's why he says, absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't I? Because here's the deal. 
to, to redeem the land if it just has Naomi associated with it is good because you get an old lady past childbearing years who's probably going to die soon and you get the land. But, if you get the, if you redeem the land and there's a young woman associated with it that you have to marry and she has a son, then that land becomes the son's because the whole purpose in the whole kinsman redeemer scenario is to preserve the, the family name of the original owner. So it's a complete act of mercy. It's a complete act of kindness to, to redeem somebody's land if you know there's going to be a son involved because basically you're, you're just giving money away so that they can get their land back and that's it. You gain nothing from it but a headache, maybe. And so that now you understand, as soon as Boaz says, hey, great, I'm glad you're going to redeem this land, but oh, by the way... Whoever gets the land gets the Moabite woman, Ruth. And what does he do? He starts backpedaling. Whoa, 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 no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I didn't know that was the deal, you know. So he goes low and then comes high. Why? Because Boaz wants the land for Naomi and he wants Ruth to be his wife. Isn't that beautiful? He wants all this even though it's going to cost him. The other Redeemer didn't take it because it was going to cost him. It makes no sense. But Boaz wants it because he's willing to pay the cost. So often I hear, how in the world do you do business and extend Hesed? How can I be kind? How can I be loving and be a successful business person? How can I be a Christian and not be inundated and, and, and drown in the needs of other people if I live with their needs in view and holding their needs above my own needs? How? You can't do it unless you're willing to pay a price and unless you're willing to pay the cost. It cost Boaz money, money that he would never recoup. We see it. It wasn't just a gamble, but they ended up having a son, which we're going to look at and end with next, next week. I see so many people today holding back on a lot of things in life because they fear losing out. If I, if I get married too young, then I, I'm not going to fulfill my career goals. If, 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 I, if I get married, then I can't play my video games or I can't be involved in my hobbies. If, if, I get, if I take God's Word seriously, then, then I'm gonna, how can I do that? I mean, how in the world can I live and pay my bills if I tithe? How can I be kind to somebody that, that has taken advantage of me? You see, it's going to cost something to be faithful. Kindness costs us something. And you've got to choose. You've got to choose. And how you choose is determined by your core convictions and what you're most loyal to. In her book, Manning Up, 
how the rise of women has turned men into boys. Kay Heimowitz talks about this trend of younger men not being as um, passionate about education and pursuing education and not being as passionate about um, career goals, but being more influenced by the Seth Rogans and Adam Sandler um, character of our day. Irresponsible. But meanwhile, the trend is that, that young women are being um, much more ambitious in terms of career goal and being more driven in terms of uh, getting an education. And they reject the Adam Sandler um, and the Seth Rogen characterization. And so the, the younger women are saying, where have all the men gone? When an excerpt from Kay Heimowitz's book was published in the Wall Street Journal, um, it came close to setting a record of how many people commented and how much interest that it um, drew. And one of the commentators, one of the just average guys, what he said was very telling in response to this little excerpt from her book. He wrote, Sorry, ladies. In the age of PlayStation 3s, 24-hour-a-day sports channels, and free Internet porn, you are obsolete. All that nagging, whining, and stealing our hard-earned cash have finally caught up to you. Now listen to this. We're not stuck in pre-adulthood. We choose it. Dear friends, if we are not kind, it's because we have chosen not to be kind. It's because Jesus is not everything to us. It's because His gospel is something that we give a nod to, but it doesn't rule our lives. When we sang the song earlier that He is King, that He reigns over all things, He may be King, but we are not His true subject. Something else is. And so we have to choose literally this day who we will serve if we're going to be kind. Because it is so much easier to be mean. It is so much easier to be abrasive. It is so much easier to be uncaring and unloving. Boaz is a redeemer. One who will extend real tangible kindness to others. And that's what Jesus calls us to as well. But then thirdly and finally, kindness prevails. Kindness prevails. I alluded to this earlier. Remember the context of of Ruth. Uh, We read it in in the first couple of verses that Ruth is set in the day when the judges reigned. And um, in Judges 21-25, the very famous summary of that day, we read, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Is that not the day that we live in? I mean, is it any different? We all do right in our own eyes. I mean, that's our culture. We do what we want to do. That's what's driving all the cultural topics of the day and issues of the day. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to bow to an outdated God. We don't want to bend. We want social progress. That's the cry of the day. That was the cry and the rule of the day of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. And do you know 
what God tells us. He tells us a story, a simple story about people being kind to each other. And he says, church, kindness prevails. Look, if you will, at verses 11 through 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses, and listen to this, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman." Notice how they are referring all throughout the book. It's rare that that the writer, the author, mentions Ruth without calling her what? A Moabite woman. But you get to the end of the book and what what is she? The elders of the city, the people at the gates are saying, bless her. May she be like Leah and Rachel. Are you kidding me? A Moabite woman? Leah and Rachel were the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were no more respected women than Leah and Rachel. No one was lifted any higher. And yet the elders at the gate says, May may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. Isn't that beautiful? They are blessing Ruth. They are blessing Boaz. Why? Because of his kindness. And because of the kindness that Ruth showed Naomi... You see, the talk of the town was, do you see not just this Moabite racial outcast woman, but do you see this woman who we've despised? I mean, any other woman that we've seen like her throughout the ages, none have ever been like her, but look at her. Look at how she has sacrificed family and wealth and husband for the old woman Naomi. Look at how she's adopted the God of Israel. Look at how she goes to the field early in the morning and she stays late at night so that she can run home with as much barley and grain that she can possibly carry back to Naomi and say, Look, look, look how God has been good to us today. Look at the kindness of a woman who works hard, who sacrifices her life for others. And look at Boaz, who's willing to pay the price to be her husband. You see, that that example, that person is to be exalted and blessed in the city. Dear friends, to really understand the impact, it's so obvious. What is the name of the Redeemer, the other Redeemer, the family member that is a closer relative to Elimelech than Boaz? We don't know. We don't know. Think about that. Is that not crazy? Do you know why we don't know? Because the writer of Ruth and God himself is telling us, you can go get yours, you can take revenge, you can be mean to people, you can live a life solely um, um, for yourself, and you can accomplish all your goals, but guess what? At the end of your life, your name won't even be worth remembering. Wow. Unbelievable. And so this beautiful, beautiful story is there to show us how do we win the culture to Jesus 
we don't treat people as their sins deserve. We love those who others hate. We love those that most in the church have, have, have put in a corner and said, don't come out until you adopt our sins. We love those who don't deserve to be loved. Why? Because that is what Jesus has done for us. Dear friends, where's the power to be kind? It comes in Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is the kindness and love of God that is to be the very essence of how we live our lives and how we treat one another. Dear friends, do you want your name to be remembered? I was thinking about that this week. What are the names that I remember throughout my life? I remember George Falls. Some of you may know George. He owns Paulette's. He's uh, been in Memphis and and a businessman in Memphis. He's successful. He's a lot of things. But you know how I know him? When I was in the fifth grade, we went to his house because my stepfather were, were good friends and still are with George. And you know what he did for this little fifth grade boy who um, was just kind of welcomed into the family. My mother and stepfather had just been married and they were introducing me to friends. He brought me a basketball. Kindness. I remember that to this day. And I love him to this day, not because of who he is in Memphis, but because he brought a little fifth grade boy a basketball. I think about Gerald Weber who would take me fishing at five in the morning because he knew that my stepdad did not fish. And so he would say, meet me at the dock at five. And he would take me out and we would fish Gerald Weber. I think about Coach Horton, who had a very, he was a very busy executive with Exxon, and yet he volunteered for Christian Brothers High School back in the day to start a little cross-country team. And we ended up winning the state my senior year. It had very little to do with me, by the way, but uh, the good runners won the state that year. And you know why? Because this man just showed up day in and day out, not getting paid, not getting any recognition. I got a letter recently from someone in the church thanking me for loving them well. And they said, Richard, you know why I ended up staying at downtown? It's because... You remembered my name. Now that same week, someone I met with told me I I seemed distant and, uh, you know, unapproachable. I think that was the word they used. And that's who we are, isn't it? When we are remembering what God has done for us, we can be very kind. And when we forget, we can be very distant and very self-absorbed. Dear friends, I pray that we would let the kindness of Christ flow over us this morning. I pray that what He's done for us would be so real to us that it would change the way we treat people when we leave. 
that we would start seeing godliness as not making a stand that, that thousands hear and know about, but we're willing just to live humbly, without recognition, and just be kind to our waitress or our waiter. Just be kind to the person next door. Just be kind to people across town. And maybe direct our lives in a different way because God has been kind to us. And that's how he's redeemed us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. Lord Jesus, we thank you that that you love us when no one else will. That you're there for us when no one else is. That you're lifting us up with your kindness and your mercy. You're saying, come along, son. Come along, daughter. You're welcoming us into your bosom, your breast, fellowship. You're giving us a cold cup of water to drink. As I heard at a funeral this week, Lord Jesus, you have set a banquet table. And through the valley of the shadow of death, on the other side of that, is you, Lord Jesus, sitting at a table, waiting to sup with your people, (laughs) waiting to extend kindness forever, the kindness of a meal, the kindness of a drink, the kindness of table fellowship. So, Lord Jesus, may we be a people who pattern our lives after that, creating us kindness, Holy Spirit. We know it's your fruit. We can't do it alone. So may we come to you. And may we trust you for kindness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.